everybody. Welcome back to the Salt City Hoops podcast. Last time we came at you with one of these, the Jazz were coming off a 4-1 road trip back east. This time, no such luck. Jazz are riding a four-game losing skid right now, and uh, we decided to come together and talk about it and see what we could figure out. So this is the How Worried Should We Be edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. And to help me figure it out on the other end is uh, my brother, Ken Clayton, dialing in from Phoenix. Hey, Ken. Hey there. Do we have an edition name for every show we ever do? Is that the new? Uh, I think so, yeah. I, okay, we'll, all right. We'll do like, yeah, episode names. We'll rename the podcast every time. There will be contests. There will be <laughs> balloons, swag. <clears throat> I think we should. Um, yeah, 0-4 since uh, since we last podcasted. Maybe that means we should stop podcasting, or maybe it just <laughs> means other stuff is going on. Well, in fairness, they actually had just lost the Memphis game because we didn't record on Sunday night like we had planned. Oh. We, we, we were going to record right after the 4-1 trip. We were we were pushed back a couple days, and so we recorded after the Memphis loss. So they're only 0-3 since the podcast. Um, but, yeah, still, they're on a four-game losing streak. We just did maybe talk briefly about the Memphis loss, or at least it had happened by the time we spoke last time. We will not be blamed. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so good point. And by the way, to that point, our goal, Ken's and my goal, is to um, make these as much as schedules and sanity and more than anything else our forgetfulness will allow. Um, we're going to try to make these... Um, a bit more regular, so that should be good news to those of you who um, enjoy listening to these. Which, if you're hearing this right now, you're. I think you were. I think that was your non-committal way of saying weekly, because that was our goal. But you, even before getting there, you cut off and said more regular. So I'm you a, can you can you can edit that part out if you want. I'm a capitulator, Ken. Okay. Uh, pro- what's the what's the um, what's the thing? Everyone always says it in like professional settings. Um, Promise low and no under oh, better under, to under promise under and over promise and over deliver. Yeah, exactly. Then do the yeah. other thing. So uh, anyway, that's what we will try to do. Speaking of under delivering, though, let's get back to talking about the Utah Jazz. Owen four, and Ken and I thought we would talk about. Um, you know, there's certainly some real things to worry about. There are certainly some things, um, both on the court and off the court, and in terms of who is on the court and off the court, that are real things we should all be taking note of and, and should certainly be part of the analysis and part of figuring out where the Jazz go from here at now 7 and 8 overall. And uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some things that maybe we're not that worried about or things that um, may or may not solve themselves. So, um, Ken, what's the top thing that you think is a legitimate worry with the Jazz dropping four straight and now sitting one loss under 500? Well, I guess that depends on if you want to go macro. I mean, the biggest thing right now is clearly, just like we talked last week, the injuries. If you want to go focus more in on that, we can talk about the injuries to whom precisely. But uh, injuries overall, you tell me how how tightly you want to focus that one. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump in because I think, um, well, for one thing, you know, the Jazz are pretty tight-lipped about injuries um, and they've caught some criticism recently for that from some fans. And I think some of that's fair criticism, by the way. I don't, you know, I don't want to insulate the jazz here. I think that there's an aspect of like, 
you know, if a guy's going to miss three weeks or if you think it might be three weeks, then let people know it might be three weeks. But saying day-to-day and then a guy winds up missing, you know, like when Favors had a tight back last year, they kept saying day-to-day and he missed a month of basketball. And that's kind of the way it's feeling with George Hill right now. So so that's the thing. I, I don't think we, as Twitter doctors, as podcast doctors, whatever, know enough to definitively say whose injuries are more worrisome, less worrisome. But from from where we sit, what freaks you out the most in terms of injuries? I think you, right now you, I've got to go with the guy who's actually currently playing, but that's Gordon Hayward. Um, he's had such a performance decline. You know, he came back and he started great, and that's what we talked about last week was like, wow, he's, uh, you know, even after that Memphis loss, he was at 24.4 points per game. Uh, not shooting the lights out, but shooting the ball well. He was at 45, 46%. Since then, in the four losses, three, no, this is in the four losses, so this does count the Memphis game, uh, 30%. The one that really stood out to me, and I hadn't looked at this before I was getting ready to talk to you, um, free throw shooting, 97% before the Memphis game, so up through the Miami, the end of the road trip, 78.6% since. These are free throws. This is a guy who hit like the first 35, 36 of the season. It just makes me worry that that hand is not getting better. And if that hand doesn't get better, are we eventually looking at more time off or just just continued play like he's he's been having lately. And I know he had 25 last night, so you could partially look and say, oh, okay, he's getting better. But uh, uh, they were pretty hard fought, 25. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I, again, I, I don't think we really know. Um, I don't know. I don't have any inside information about Gordon Hayward's left ring finger. What I will say is this. Um, there's such a clear before and after, right? Um, he was playing yeah. great. He goes out in the third quarter of the Memphis game. The Memphis game, he wasn't playing great, by the way. I think he was 3-for-11 at the time when it, when he banged it and left to the locker room. He came back from the locker room, and the official story was that it, the tape had bunched up, and they just had to retape it. Um, you know, the famous retape that we hear about all the time? Yeah. Um, and, and yet, after that quote-unquote retape job, he has just not been able to shoot. He's had wide open threes. He's had good looks. Uh, you know, his, his patented spin into the lane, step back fader. Um, just nothing's going down. They look good. They rim out. Um, something's, it, it just feels like, look, we could blame this on a slump. Gordon Hayward has had slumps before in his career. He's even had slumps since he became, you know, a very good player. But the fact that there's this before and after, and by the way, when he came back, in the third quarter of that Memphis game, came back to the bench. Um, you know, all the guys, the trainers, the coaches, the, his teammates, kept asking him if he was all right. And, and from what I could see, and I wasn't in the arena, I was watching on TV, but everyone I saw him talk to, he was giving them like one-word answers or he was just nodding his head. It just, I hate to get into the body language crap, it just seemed like... Um, it seems like that's a moment that changed Gordon Hayward's young season quite a bit, and and that makes me worry. Yeah, and I I I just ran this again. Three in the last three games, that free throw percentage is 
70%. So he was really near 100 and then 70% in three games. On a free throw, that to me is different than than field goal percentage because field goal percentage, how's a guy defending you? You know, it, that sounds to me more physical. I don't know. I yeah. could be wrong, but it worries me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and it's not just shooting. Like, he's been less aggressive, um, you know, on and off the basketball. There was even a play. I wish I could remember the exact play. <clears throat> um, there was a play in the Denver game where Gordon went up to challenge someone who had gotten baseline, and he jumped and put his right hand straight up in the air the way you would do if you were going to challenge a shot, but his left hand was, like, glued to his side. And that's one that if I could figure out when that happened, I would go back and screenshot it, and, and maybe I'll share it in, in, uh, in a post this week or, you know, tag it to this, uh, to this podcast post or something. That's the visual effect right there that tells me something's weird. Gordon is protecting that left hand because just, I mean, anyone who even plays basketball knows that just instinctually, if you go up, you're, you're not going to look, you might not go up with two hands perfectly straight in the air, but to have one hand up challenging and the other one literally could be in your pocket. If you had basketball shorts with a pocket, it just looked odd. And it told me something's weird. Yeah, for sure. So, so like prognosis. Let's say, let's say it's broken. I mean, what would you do? Do, do you shut him down? Do you, um, <clears throat> do you wait for Hill and then make a decision? Like, what's what's the best course for the Jazz if something is wrong with Gordon Hayward's uh, left finger? I mean, I guess it depends on how wrong that something is. Um, <clears throat> obviously, he sat out six. He played well for five. Five and a half games, uh, if you're right about that third quarter in Memphis, um, and then whatever, whatever may have happened happened around that time. Um, you know, is is six more games enough to rest it again and let it heal? Is that going to take longer? You know, knock on wood, does it take something more than just rest? Yeah, that'd, that'd be brutal. But uh, and, and you know, you mentioned and wait until Hill gets back. Wait, you know, and and, and I have in the back of my mind favors too. What well, where we're at is we—I don't think we knew this going in. Maybe, maybe some people did, but what we have is a big three that we've seen on the court for what ten minutes. Because I really think right now our, the big three is Hayward, Hill, Favors. But two out of three or three out of three can't get on the court. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly. I mean, if you throw Gobert in there, and obviously, well, Gobert's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah go, I mean, Gobert's value is a little different. But if you say you know the top four guys. Um, you know, two of them are currently on the shelf and we have no idea what the prognosis is. And the other one sure seems like he's playing, and a third seems like he's playing hurt. So that puts a lot of pressure on Rudy, puts a lot of pressure on guys like Dante Exum and Rodney Hood. And I'm sure we'll talk about them as we go through this list of things that worry us and things that don't worry us. Um, So, so let's shift gears. Well, actually, before we shift gears off of Hayward, I guess here's what I would say, or here's what I would, here's what I would posit. I think that um, with 14 of the next 19 at home, and that takes you to New Year's Eve, by the way. So between now and December 31st, 14 of 19 are at home. Um, I'm not. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that Gordon Hayward should miss 19 games. I'm just saying that's the stretch they have ahead of them. 
of those 14 home games, I think eight or nine are teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. I think there, if there was ever a time that you could say, hey, why don't we get Hill and Favors healthy, give Hayward the time he needs, we'll, we'll, stick, we'll stay around 500, we'll get Gordon back around the end of the year, we'll have 50 games left, we'll be 500, and we'll finally have the team that we envisioned having all together. I, I think the Jazz could afford that. I think they could do that and still finish you know, in the high 40s in terms of win total. But that brings us to where we're at with George Hill and Derek Favors, which is we don't know where the Jazz are at with George Hill and Derek Favors. Yeah, then that's and you were right earlier when you talked about you know we were used to back in the Scott Layden days never hearing the beep about trades, but we I think we were a little more we're better informed at least on injuries and kind of where guys were and you're right though we don't have much idea at all. A few days ago they talked about maybe George Hill was getting close. Uh, it didn't really come up when they had him on the broadcast last night. I don't believe um, and favors you know who knows we haven't seen or heard from him really. Uh, the one guy they did show out. Uh, doing some running and work on the court was Alec Burks. So who knows? We got all kinds of guys who uh, would be nice to have a few more contributors on a given night. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's funny because it's not that I forget about Burks. It's just that um, Hayward and Hill and Favors are so good when they're when they're right that um, that there's so much focus on those three getting right and you, and it just sort of. And then you're like, oh yeah, and Alec Burks, um, you know, could come off the bench, and then you're you're giving fewer fourth and fifth wing minutes to guys that you probably envisioned being deep bench when the season started. So, I mean, that's a good point. I think I think to me, Favors is probably the second most worrying, and and maybe that's because I assume that Hills is is just the jammed thumb and. Now, I again, I'll say that if you have a guy as a game time decision and then like five days later he's still not playing, at some point you probably owe your fans a little bit of a clarification on what the deal is. Um, but having said that, I, I'm less worried about Hill. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about favors to the extent that some people are where they're saying like, oh, is he ever going to be fully healthy again? I think, I, I think it's been a mix of bad luck and whatever, but uh, it certainly doesn't look good that Favors has now, for basically 12 calendar months, has been, you know, back problems, knee problems, then the knee problems create IT band problems, then more knee problems, and uh, and that's worrisome to me because I think that he's the one jazz starter who, if he misses games you're kind him and Rudy, just because the big man depth isn't what everybody thought it was going to be, but especially favors. He's the guy that if he misses games, you don't really have an easy solution. I think to fill in. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I was going to bring that up when you mentioned favors before. Diao hasn't played well. In fact, the last two nights, you know, the talk on uh, Saturday was they were going to hold him out to save him for the back to back. Then he played seven minutes Sunday. So uh, I don't know what they were saving him for if if that's all they plan to use him on Sunday, um, unless they're just the idea is keep him off the court. I also don't think he's 100 percent right. He's just not on the same tier as those other guys as far as my expectations. But yeah, Diao hasn't played well with you know, he is what he is. 
And then you got Lyles, who's doing a good job. He's never going to be able to swing to the five, though. I mean, not not in a passable way against a, a real center. Um, he's just overmatched sometimes at the four as it is. And then you know Joe Johnson hasn't been great, although they got some, they've had some spurts where him at the four has worked. But those are your bigs, and and again you got to get down to Joe Johnson at the four to even include him in the group. Yeah, well that and that's the thing. I, I like you said Trey Lyles. I, I mean I don't even think Trey Lyles has been really playing that well. Um, from an efficiency standpoint, he's almost unplayable sure. offensively. And offense, uh, the offense is his strong suit. Like, he's still pretty bad defensively. So he has had a, a really rough start. Um, look, the tools are there. Everybody sees the moments where you're like, wow, isn't that great to have a, um, you know, have a guy that's 6'10 who can do this and that. And that's true. But guess what? He's not actually doing that. Or, or he's doing that and then he's having, you know, four or five bad plays after that. His shooting percentages are ridiculously low. Um, and I guess that's the thing, not to take us off of injuries. I don't know if you had any more points you wanted to make on the injury front. No, actually, that's a good segue into one of uh, Trey Lyles is a perfect segue into one of the other things that's been worrisome to me is overall, it's it's not the specific item I'm going to mention. It's just in general, the offense seems very stagnant. And again, we're missing two or three top guys or we're not missing the top guy, but he's got a broken finger. But the, where I see it manifest so much is lots of dribbling outside the three-point line and, hey, let's jack up a three-point shot. And that comes from the whole team, but Lyles is certainly one of the culprits uh, if you look at that the last few games. So it's it's not just they're firing up threes for any reason. It's just kind of just the offense isn't ever getting anywhere so frequently. Yeah. His uh, his true shooting, which I tend to look at because that's kind of that's, – that's more akin to like point per shot – um, his true shooting is 470. The league, the league average is 535. Um, nobody on the Jazz is close to as bad except for Boris Diaw on again small sample size. The thing I'd say with Boris, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not dismissing how bad Boris has played, but I mean, give me a break. He played three games and then he missed a bunch of time, and then he played two games and then he missed a game, and then he played seven minutes the other night. So like, I do think that there's a standpoint of probably at some point. I mean, he's he's too smart and he's been too good for too long to just forget how to play the game of basketball overnight. But anyway, that's tangential. But uh, the point I was going to make is, and it's about Trey, but it's about a bunch of other guys too. I think the guys that are hurt are hurt. And outside of the guys that are hurt, I think most of the guys that the Jazz were counting on a big improvement from, they're coming in pretty near the bottom of... I think the range of what we might have expected from them. And Trey is, I think, exhibit A to this argument. Um, you know, he can't, he can't make a three to save his life. He's a 26% from three. He's a 37% overall from the field. Um, you know, he's not rebounding great given the number of minutes he's getting. He's, he's just, he's become um, a bit of a liability. And that's not to say that, that anybody realistic expected him to be an all-star already, but there is kind of a range that you thought, okay, Trey is going to be at least this good and he's going to be potentially as good as this. And I think he's coming in pretty close to his at least this good or maybe even a shade below it. I don't think a lot of people um, even entertained the thought that he'd be shooting 26% from three on almost four attempts a game. 
Yeah, my problem, and, that, and that's exactly my point, is, you know, and this happened, This comes up on broadcasts all the time, if an individual shooter is struggling with a shot, get an easy one. And and I feel like that's the team, too. There are times in, in the last two, three, maybe all four games where it feels like it's been ages since they've scored, and yet pass it around, pass it around, pass it around, jack up a three. And mm-hmm. I'm like, let's get something going to the basket and get a couple of easy ones and see if then maybe a three falls because you just feel a little more, uh, Bowler Jack's favorite word this season, you feel a little more confident. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Um, again, I think with him, it's that a lot of times he catches it and he's still figuring out what it is he wants to do with it. And that's a, it's not a recipe for a successful possession for most players, especially if you're a second-year player and there's a pretty short scouting or I mean, I mean, like, short in a, in a bad way, meaning, like, people know you're either going to take the three or you're going to pump fake and take two dribbles and pull up from there or you're going to pump fake and take two dribbles and pass. Like, yeah. those are... What I just said accounted for, you know, 90% of Trey Lyle's used possessions or... Or passes so um so i don't know so i don't i don't know if you've noticed that I, I just pulled this up since we last saw the jazz live in philadelphia there's been one game where the team not not lyle's but the team has shot greater than 30 percent from three. Oh yeah yeah besides that it's been 23 25 30 28 20 the high point was houston they shot 44 <clears throat> and then 26 27 last night so it's just been brutal as a team, and of course he's part of that because he's four of those that are putting up. But I just have to wonder, if you're shooting that poorly, should you be shooting 34 like they did against Charlotte? Should you be shooting even in the 28, 20, or should you be finding a way to get a little closer to the basket and, you know, try that, you know? Yeah. They, they, did, they did only shoot 20 against Miami, and they, of course they were still winning then. But then this last week in this, in this skid – it's been no, it's an easy easy math problem. Twenty six point five. They've been averaging that many attempts, but shooting in the twenties. Yeah. Um, this after all the talk about oh the Jazz may have put together one of the best catch and shoot teams ever, or or you know at least in the current NBA. Yeah. Guess what? I mean the shots have to go in before someone gives you that that trophy. Um, right now they have. Um, you know, so I'm not going to, I'm going to skip past Favors and Neto because their sample sizes are small, but um, Joe Johnson's shooting well, George Hill is shooting well, Joe Ingles is shooting well, they're all over 40%. Um, Rodney's at 38.6, which is an improvement for him. Um, and then after that, it's just, it's a degree of dregs, right? Um, Shelvin is at 31%, Dante's at 29%. Lyles is at 26, like we talked about. And Gordon Hayward, if you round him up, is at 25%. Boris Diaw is at 12.5%. So, I mean, now look, do I expect that we're going to be sitting here in April talking about Gordon Hayward's season shooting 25% from three? No, like some of that stuff is going to straighten itself out with, with more sample, with more shots. But If you uh, are talking about that in April, we're probably not talking about that. We're probably tra- talking about the draft lottery. Yeah, that's... That's a good point, too. So let me ask you this, um, since we're, you know, well into this thing now. Um, and we want to give people some faint Reason glimmer. for hope. Yes. 
what are you not that worried about? What are you, what are you like, you know what? It's fine. It's going to take care of itself. It'll, you know, well, the jazz will live to fight another day. Well, the very nature of injuries is I assume guys are going to get healthy and that's going to help. The one point of the, the one point of light I've seen, I don't have the old thousand points of light, but the one point of light I've seen in just the last few games, uh, Dante Exum's game is really coming together. Um, he's being more aggressive, which was the, uh, in the game we played last week, the, uh, uh, well, how did we phrase it? The best Dante is an aggressive Dante. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think he's looking pretty good. He keeps getting just so close to where I think he gets the six, first six points or eight points. And I start thinking this could be, you want to go ahead? This could be the Exum game, the Exum game. But then he misses the next couple, and sometimes those have even been baskets right on top of the on top of the hoop, and he misses them. So he's still got a little work to do. But uh, but no, he's he's certainly been a point of light in the last few games to me. Now, if you could couple that with some of the other guys coming back, and uh, you know, there's there's some some reason to be optimistic about that. That yeah. he's uh, starting to show what we thought we were going to see last year, or even in the rookie season, and we didn't get to see it last year, but. It's it's finally coming around a bit. Yeah, he uh, so he's hit double figures seven times, which I know is arbitrary, but you know it's a thing. It's a it's a line in the sand that we can use. So anyway, I'm using it. He's hit double figures seven times this season. He did it just 13 his entire rookie year, um, and of course, you know, zero times last season while he sat in the training room with uh, Mark McCown. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think I think part of the oh, could this be the Exum game? And then it winds up very much not being the Exum game. Um, you know, the way that the rotation has been managed, um, while uh, the way that the rotation has been managed while George Hill has been out has largely been that Exum is the first to get subbed out of the starters. So Shelvin usually comes in for him around the six-minute mark. So however well... Now, by the way, Quinn didn't do that yesterday. He left him in longer because he was playing really well. But the point being, sometimes it's hard to get a whole lot of rhythm going if, you know, six minutes into the game, you're the guy heading to, to grab a towel and a cup of Gatorade or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, that said, though, the, the four out of the last five games, he's been in double figures. So that's been a relatively recent development. And, the, and that fifth game, he had nine. So he was, yeah. you know, a free throw away from doing it. And yes, he did miss one free throw as well as three point three threes. Yeah. So. He, um, he had the chance to get five in a row in double figures, so he's he's coming around. That's a good answer on the um, what you're not worried about. I, in addition to that, here's what I'm not that worried about. I spent a bunch of time today looking at lineup data, um, which is kind of a ridiculous exercise at this point in the season because, I mean, like I had to go down, I, I had to put my threshold at five minutes, which is a ridiculously small sample size. But like, if I only did ten, there were like twelve lineups to choose from. So you know. Like I get it. We're still, we're still not really at a point where we can generalize a whole bunch and extrapolate a whole bunch from lineup data. But what I would say is that most of the lineups that have really hurt the Jazz so far include one or multiple, one or several of the guys who probably would have been eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth men. Um, had the Jazz started the season with a full and healthy complement. Now, look, yeah. injuries are part of the NBA. They're going to be. They're going to continue to be part of the Jazz's reality. 
um, probably, knock on wood, not to this degree, but the point is when you can rely less on players like Jeff Withy, Shelvin Mack, even Joe, and, and by the way, Joe Ingles has played pretty well on the whole relative to, I think, his skill set, um, you know, I think that'll be pretty good. Now, while I was looking at that too, I was surprised to see how many of the Jazz's best lineups featured Joe Johnson. He's a player that I think has been sneakily kind of playing well. And um, doesn't we don't talk about him a lot because he hasn't jumped off the stat sheet most nights other than the 29-point opener. Um, but, I mean, the guy's shooting 45% from three. Um, you know, just just fell south of double-figure scoring average last night. But I guess my point is there are enough quality basketball players on this team that you can do seven, eight, nine guys deep once everyone is healthy. And then, again, the question just becomes, when is that? Precisely. Yeah, I think uh, there's some reason. Oh, yeah, I saw your tweets earlier about those lineup stats, and that was the first thing I thought was less than five minutes. What are you... <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you even going with this? But And didn't you say, too, that while Mac was in most of the bad ones, he was also in a good number of the good ones, too, right? Uh, I mean, he was in, like, seven of the 15 best and 11 okay. of the 15 worst. Okay. Um, so. I mean, the reality is they just used Mac a lot, which I, I'm sure we could do a whole other podcast episode about, about that <laughs> and how right that is and... Um, you should do a video podcast on that with highlights or lowlights. <laughs> or just a video podcast of like the expressions on our faces as we say some of the things. <laughs> um, like, look, I, you know, I try to give coaches the benefit of the doubt on personnel decisions because a coach knows way better than I do what is important to him, right? And there's a culture and a system that Quinn is trying to establish, and he has an eye for it that I don't have. And so if he thinks that Shelvin, I mean, like, there's a degree to which I give coaches a little bit of a pass on that. And I generally hate how much fan bases hand ring about playing time decisions. But come on. I mean, at this point, like, I, I, I mean, I think it's safe to say that when George Hill is healthy, and, and hopefully that means a lot less Shelvin Mack, that should probably be a good thing for the Jazz offense and defense. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. You're, uh, I, have nothing, I have nothing more intelligent you, to add. You, I, teed I, the, you perfectly encapsulated my feelings. You there. teed that up. I was trying to not go whole hog negative, and you teed that up and let me, let me take a big swing, and then you just watch that. All right. Well, let's do this. You said you had um, a two- or three-minute game, exercise, whatever, challenge. I know nothing about this, by the way, so um, if I suck at this game, it's all Ken's fault. Okay, so this is totally neither here nor there, nothing to do with anything serious basketball, but I was flipping around basketball reference today, just kind of getting ready to talk about this stuff, and I, and I thought, let's play the middle name game. So I'm going to give you a couple of easy ones. I okay. think you're going to get these two right off the bat. Middle name, wait, how was I going to do this? Oh, yeah. Middle name, Daniel? Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Gordon Daniel Hayward. Easy, and that's an easy one, too, because it also happens to be your given name. Yes. Uh, middle it was, name, it I was may given not to me. Yes. Middle name may not be pronounced right. Togni? Or 
Oh, that's uh, that's Haul. Okay. And actually, uh, I think I think there's a chance that's his. Like that's his dad's last name, and Neto is actually his mom's last name. But since since that's the way they do last names in a lot of Latin yeah. cultures, and Americans picked up on it the wrong way, and he kind of just steered into the skid. So I think Togni might actually be his his real last name. Okay, or it could be his mom's maiden, because I've seen some Latino people who put who end up making their second apellido. They the accom- they accommodate us dumb Americans, basically. Yes. Okay, exactly. Okay. Okay. Uh, Marcus. Uh, hang on, I'm thinking because. Um, and by the way, I have like, I have one tab away. I could just cheat and ace this test, um, but I'm not doing that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess Shelvin. Uh, that one is uh, Joe Johnson. I'll get to just some of the ones that stood out to me. Uh, Howard. That's like Howard, only with a T. Um, Alec? No, that's uh, Jingles. Apparently they spell Joe Howard Ingles. Joe Howard Ingles. Okay. Um, Babacar. <clears throat> B-A-B-A-C-A-R. I'm going to go... That's That sounds... Oh, actually, you know what? I was going to say Boris, but actually it sounds like it could be Ukrainian. So I'm going to go with Joel, Joel Ballenboy. Uh, you should just stick with Boris. I'll give you oh, half a point. All right. Okay. This is the easy. Well, it's not the easiest because the easiest one was uh, Neto and, and Hayward. But um, you'll, you'll find out later why this is the easiest one or the most likely that you will get it right. Bernard. That's Derek. Well, I guess A, you got it was good, or it was more likely you got it right because apparently you knew it. However, it was also more likely you would get it right because there are two of them, Shelvin Bernard Mack. Oh, hey, how about that? So no, I didn't. The know, other guys we didn't. Yeah. I didn't know Derek guys, was. Okay. So we got George Jesse Hill, Rodney Michael Hood, I Trey knew Anthony Lyles, and and I think uh, Rudy Gobert is middle nameless, right? Yeah, there were five that, at least according to basketball reference, have no middle name. Alec, Dante, Jeff Withy, Rudy Gobert, and Ballenboy. Yeah. So if anybody, you know, Andy's with the team, if he listens to this and wants to go do some hard-hitting journalism and find out if those five really don't have last names, he can go for that. That's what the people want to know. I mean, I don't think anything else matters. You know, Shelvin Mack playing <laughs> time, um, injury reports that, you know, ongoing day-to-day injury reports like all that is backseat to to those fellas have a last name have a middle name um right you all right well we will uh we'll wrap this one up there hopefully you've learned something um about the five middle nameless jazz men (laughs) um this is uh daniel edward clayton (laughs) and kenneth ross clayton saying uh thanks for listening there's a lot of fun stuff right now out on salt city hoops make sure you check it out uh jimbo's weekly mailbag is extra special funny this week um spencer wixom covered the stars home opener the slc stars that are now playing at a gym near you if you're a salt lake city based listener they're at slick and uh are plying their trade in fact i heard that tonight they had six or seven jazz players 
over there at over at the Salt Lake Community College Redwood campus to watch them. And uh, you should too, because it's basketball and it's Utah Jazz basketball, sort of in a way. Uh, anyway, that'll do it for us. Thanks for joining another Salt City Hoops podcast.